Hello, and welcome to another episode of Monster Dear Monster, a podcast where we explore monsters throughout uh, history uh, and region from their humble humble folkloric beginnings up until uh, their contemporary counterparts throughout media. I am your host for today, Leonard, and I'm joined by my good buddy, Dave. Hello, it's me. Um, sadly, we are, we are not joined by best boy Cameron this week for his internet in the great upside down known as Australia uh, has been a bit sketch, but we will, thanks to the power of that sketchy internet, we will be able to give you uh, some notes on today's topic, of which uh, we will be covering two films, uh, John Carpenter's 1995 uh, finale to his Apocalypse series. Isn't that right, Dave? Uh, 1994. Four, sorry, uh, in the mouth, mouth of madness, which I think is the final in, in the Carpenter Apocalypse trilogy, uh, yes. which features The Thing and Prince of Darkness, two other fantastic movies, and but which we are not covering today. And our second movie, um, Clive Barker's Lord of Illusions. Two movies that are actually shockingly thematically similar and were paired up, um, I don't think deliberately, or maybe. Uh, but that's what we're covering today. But yes. And they were before. within a year, a, a, a year's release, less than a year, I think, of each other in the, in the theaters. Yes. Um, but before that, uh, it is our custom our new new the new lore is our slavic monster of the week and we'll find out which ones will appear yes and by find out we will look at a series of names and and, and click a link yes once the list appears propagates yeah it has to load it's 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 loaded yeah <laughs> yeah dave couldn't find the link but he, he found it again <laughs> all right well which one am i perusing first uh, how about you give me yours first, Dave? All right. Then we're going with Noknitsa. 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 
The Noknitsa in Slavic mythology is a nightmare spirit that also goes by the name Kriski, uh, Platsky, oh, Platchotsky, Placky Kits, nope, can't, nope, you were really close, uh, goes by various names. Ultimately, she is a night hag or night maiden. She is referred to as, uh, wow, uh, Na- there are Nach- a- Nachnika. Nachnika or Nanika. Nochnika. Nochnika. The no, uh, the, <laughs> the Nochnika is also present in Russian and Slavic folklore. She is known to torment children at night and a stone wait. Oh, and a stone with a hole in the center is said to be protection from the Nachnika. Mothers in some regions will place a knife in their, yes, uh, place a knife in their children's cradles or draw circles around the cradles with a knife for protection. This is possibly based on the belief that supernatural beings cannot touch iron. In the Roman tradition, an incubus is a demon in male form who, uh, according to mythical mythological and legendary traditions lies upon sleeping women in order to engage in sexual activity with them. Its female counterpart is a succubus. Uh, it feels like this shifted into something different halfway through the article. Uh, folklore. The Nashnika is known to sit on one's chest, drawing life energy. Because of this, Many refer to Nachnika as a type of vampire. The Nachnika will also will often continue visiting. According to some folklore, night hags visit when one sleeps on one's back. With the hands on the chest, a position allegedly called sleeping with the dead. According to some folklore, night hags are made of shadow. She might also have a horrible screeching voice. She might allegedly also smell of moss and dirt from from her forest of origin. Uh, let's see. Yes, and uh, it, there is a mention in the uh, uh, in popular culture that uh, the other mother from Coraline shares uh, numerous similarities to the Nachnika. Uh, especially the stone with a hole offering protection, which was the first thing that I thought of when I read that. And that is the Nachnika. It is it is that life vampire that sits on your chest when you sleep. That's why I sleep on my side, because <laughs> you can't suck my life energy out if, if I just if I turn have 90. Yeah, if I just turn 90 degrees, I you, my life energy is is safe. Or s- sleep on your stomach and get neck problems, but you'll be safe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The safest. Nothing safer than neck problems. Okay. Let's see. And for days... Let's go with the uh, Rarog. Uh, Rarog? Rarog? 
I'll find out when I pull it up. Let's see. Oh, it's a stub. In Slavic oh. mythology, the Verog or Papur, Papur in Russian. Those are two different words. All right. Uh, is a fire demon often depicted as a fiery falcon. A caldera on Jupiter's moon, Io, was named Rarog Patera, a massive eruption from which was recorded by the WM Keck Observatory in 2013. Okay. The leader of the Polish video game developer CD Projekt stated that the northern cardinal-shaped logo of the company symbolizes Rarog. That's, oh, that's... Uh, that's information that's new. Yep. Mm, well, there is a link specifically to the Firebird of Slavic folklore, so I'm going to click that. This is a little longer. We'll go with this. Okay. Um, in Slavic myth mythology and folklore, the Firebird is a magical and prophetic glowing or burning bird from a faraway land, with, which is both a blessing and a harbinger of doom to its captor. Love when that works out that way. The firebird is described as a large bird with majestic plumage that glows brightly, emitting red, orange, and yellow light like a bonfire that is just past the turbulent flame. The feathers do not cease glowing if removed, and one feather can light a large room if not concealed. In later iconography, the form of the firebird is usually that of a smallish fire-colored falcon, complete with a crest on its head and tail feathers with, with tail feathers with glowing eyes. It is beautiful but dangerous, showing no signs of friendliness. The story of the Firebird inspired many literary works, including The Little Humpback Horse. The most famous production of the Firebird was by Sergei Diag Diaglev of the Rus Ballet, who commissioned composer Igor Stravinsky to create enormously popular large-scale ballet score known as the Firebird. Um... Well, yeah, this is a, you know, um, we'll go with this. This is a big chunk. A typical mm -hmm. role of the firebird in fairy tales is an object of, is as an object of a difficult quest. The quest is usually initiated by finding a lost tail feather, at which point the hero sets out to find and capture the live bird, sometimes of his own accord, but usually on the bidding of a father or king. The firebird is a marvel highly coveted, but the hero, initially charmed by the wonder of the feather, eventually blames it for his troubles. Um, we'll skip that bit. Uh, there's another, another version of this legend. A modest and gentle orphan girl named uh, Mariushka lives in a small village. People would come from all over to buy her embroidery, and many merchants asked her to come away and work for them. She told them all that she would sell to any who found her work beautiful, but she would never leave the village of her birth. One day, the evil sorcerer Kashe, the immortal, uh, heard of Mariushka's beautiful needlework and transformed himself into a beautiful young man and visited her. Upon seeing her ability, he became enraged that a mere mortal could, could produce finer work than he himself possessed. He tried to tempt her by offering to make her queen if she would embroider for him alone, but she refused, saying she would never leave her village. Because of this last insult to his ego, he turned Mariushka into a firebird and himself into a great black falcon, picked her up in his talons, and stole her away from the village. Seems like he could have just picked her up um, in his talons and stole her away from the village without also turning <laughs> into a bird, but okay. <laughs> to leave a memory of, him, of herself with her village forever, she shed her feathers onto the land below. As the last feather fell, Marushka died in the falcon's talons. 
The glowing rainbow feathers were magic and remained undimmed, but show their colors only to those who love beauty and seek to make beauty for others. Um, there's another version. We will skip that for now. The firebird concept has parallels in Iranian legends of magical birds in the Brothers Grimm fairy tale about the golden bird and related Russian magical birds like the Syrian, which we did take a look at before. The story of the quest itself is closely paralleled by Armenian Hazran Bibul. In the Armenian tale, however, the bird does not glow, but rather makes the land bloom through its song. In Czech folklore, it is called Tak Onivak. That's where we miss Cameron because he's better at these. A uh, fire-like bird and appears, for example, in a Karel Jem Jeromir Erben fairy tale and is also the object of a difficult quest. Moreover, in the beginning of this fairy tale, the bird steals magical golden apples belonging to a king and is therefore pursued by the king's servants in order to protect the precious apples. Mm. The story of the firebird comes in many forms. Some folk tales say that the firebird is a mystical bird that flies around a king's castle and at night swoops down and eats all the king's golden apples. Others say that the firebird is just a bird that flies around giving hope to those who need it. Some additions to the legend say that when the firebird flies around, his eyes sparkle and pearls fall from his beak. The pearls was then, would then fall to the peasants, giving them something to trade for goods or services. In the most common version, Azar commands his three sons to, to capture the firebird that keeps flying down and eating his apples. The golden apples are in the Tsar's orchard and give youth and strength to all who eat them. The sons end up barely missing the bird, but they catch one of his feathers that glows in the night. They take it to a dark room and it lights the room completely, thus ending the tale. Theoretically. That's okay. I I just really love the visual of this, like, beautiful, like, iridescent, um, flaming bird flying around vomiting pearls on people it's it's a really fantastic image the um it gives the synopsis for the firebird uh ballet mm -hmm. uh in Stravinsky's ballet with the scenario, okay, uh, the creature is half woman, half bird. She is captured by Prince Ivan, who then sets her, uh, but when he sets her free, she gives him a magic feather, which he uses to defeat the the spell of Cachet the Immortal, who had captured 13 princesses. Uh, Prince Ivan then marries the most beautiful of them. Okay. And this is, of course, uh, anal an um, analog to the phoenix, the uh, Fenhuang, um, Smargle and Simurg, which is all kind of phoenix flaming, flaming birds. But yeah. yes, so that was the Firebird uh, and kind of also the Rarog. Yes. There's a lot going on there. That was a good one. Yep. Um, yes, there is a lot of emphasis on I'm tired of this bird eating my apples. Which I uh, is is and and feeding the people with pearls, yeah. It's giving my people too many monies. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That that that's it. It's 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 the conversion rate from from golden apples to bird pearls that's really tanking this economy. Yeah, we can't have this kind of equality going around. Only I can have the sweet strength apples. <laughs>
Uh, that has been the Slavic folklorish monster creature of the week. And now it is time to move on to the main event, uh, In the Mouth of Madness and Lord of Illusions. We will be starting with In the Mouth of Madness. Dave, do you have some In the Mouth of Madness factoids for me before we get started on this? Uh, I I don't actually have any <laughs> factoids All for right. this one, aside from, as usual, John Carpenter scores, or at least partly scores, his own films. And I found the opening rock intro, like, horribly jarring. I didn't oh, you like mean... It. You mean the it, the 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 legally distinct? We couldn't get uh, we couldn't convince Metallica to license Enter Sandman uh, for the opening of this film, uh, so we're just gonna make a sound like um, opening I mean, song. It, I thought it felt a little. It was very close to his Big Trouble in Little China work. I can see that. I mean, it's his own composition, so. He, it felt like that, and then knowing the movie, you just like this just did not. <laughs> the it rest is, of yes, the, the it, rest of the tracks were great. It was just yeah, that one. It yes, it is. It is. It is. It is. It was not appropriate for like a spooky film. Not not at all, uh, especially for uh, overlaid with with the images of uh, books being printed. Yeah, it's yeah, a lot of books. Yes, it is a weird, desperate image. Uh, but yes, that is that is the tone that we we enter on. It also has that really. It also has a really weird um, title reveal with that very uh, mid nineties horror flash, where the screen kind of flashes and the highlighted uh, uh, title pops yeah, up. The, the title card. Yeah, and I'm just like, this looks like an episode of Goosebumps. Um, well, that was 1994, so yeah, we'll have no, to give it some slack. I know. Uh, but yes, uh, after the uh, opening credits, we uh, discover that the books being printed are uh, by one written by one Sutter Kane, and is this the... which which book? In his his the uh, ho- Hobbs and Horror. There we go. This is it's his latest book, but not, yes. not not the latest book. Just the last one that went to press. Yeah. Um. And we then are are treated to a man being brought into a, uh, an insane asylum. It yes. is. It is. Uh, and surprise. It's our it's uh, show favorite and and fan favorite. Uh, one Sam Neil playing one John Trent, and he's in a straitjacket, <laughs> being escorted by two Orleys, uh, uh, who he accosts and tries to escape. Uh, I do want to point out that uh, he, he does apologize. He does apologize, and uh, we get a a really weirdly fantastic performance from uh, character actor 
alum, uh, John Glover, who plays the admitting doctor to the asylum. Yes. Um, and uh, uh, Mr. Trent is locked in the room where he proclaims that he's not crazy, causing the other residents to also proclaim that they're not crazy. Uh, and later, uh, Trent is visited by um, another uh, character actor favorite, uh, Dr. Warren, played by David Warner, um, which prompts uh, Trent, who has only made one request since he's he's been admitted, which is for a single black crayon, which he has used to decorate the uh, his his padded cell with crosses, and and not only his cell, but his his uh, jumpsuit and his his uh, face body, his pillow, well. I mean, everything, yeah, everything covered in crosses. And uh, Doctor Warren asks asks Trent to uh, tell him how he reached such a sorry state. Uh, which, if you're paying attention, uh, the setup is uh, very Lovecraft um, because this movie is a big Lovecraft love letter in movie slash book form. Yes. Um, so, Dave, uh, I have to. I have to say that this has actually been my first viewing of *In the Mouth of Madness*. It's it's been a film that I've wanted to to uh, watch for a while. I, I I'm already academically familiar with it on a level. I know what's going to happen. I know what the film is about, but I've never actually had the opportunity to sit down and watch it. So it's, um, it was, a it, it was really, really interesting to see, see this play out finally. Uh, Trent, uh, John Trent is an uh, insurance fraud agent. Yes. Oh, he's actually a freelance insurance investigator. Yeah, insurance because he, company. He, he's not working for a specific company. He's, they're, they're, there's one that's trying to like actively recruit him. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but I um. So, additionally, just a bit of trivia that my brain decided to like let me know was a thing. Um, because this is Lovecraft adjacent and mm-hmm. also Stephen King adjacent, they're literally calling out Stephen King by name in the film. Yes. Uh, the, the, the Nightmares and Dreamscapes um, short story collection uh, contained a horror story crouch end which plays out very much like parts of this Hobbes and um, bit in the film. Uh, and it looks like that story actually had an earlier 1980 release. Okay. So just that, that extra bit of tie in. 
Right. Yes. Which, because... which was in an anthology of New Tales of Cthulhu. So <laughs> it all just well, wraps wraps well together. It's just it's all just a Lovecraft or a Boros. Um, oh yeah. Yes. Uh, Trent uh, is uh, uh, having lunch with a uh, Trent has just busted this guy for committing insurance fraud uh, and is having uh, lunch with a uh, his friend who runs the insurance company that uh, freelances uh, that Trent freelances from and attempts to recruit him and across the street uh, it, I should mention that this this film takes place on the east coast starting in in New York proper, New York City, and ending in like between Maine and and Vermont. Uh yes, and, it goes to New Hampshire and then kind of bounces a little go. bit. It's just in New England. Yes. Yeah. Just the just that good old classic East Coast Lovecraft flavor. Uh where a very disheveled, um very sick looking man uh, uh, exits uh, a store from across the street, and I was trying to dis- determine whether or not this was a liquor store or or a hardware store because he comes out of the store with a bright, shiny, gleaming axe and starts making his way over to Trent and his buddy uh, while they have their conversation, and uh, proceeds to. Uh, bust open the window of the diner and uh, ask Trent uh, if he reads Sutter Kane before raising his act and attempting to axe murder John and uh, is immediately shot to death. Uh, one thing that I was uh, actually really surprised by in this movie is that there isn't a lot of actually isn't a lot of gore in it. it There's isn't. almost none. Uh, like this was a bloodless scene. There wasn't yeah. even squibs. They just he just nope. reacted to the sound of gunshots and fell back out the window. Yeah, that, that did catch my attention too. Um, and uh, and and John is is obviously shaken uh by this. And yes, then because uh, he almost got uh, an act to the face. <laughs> yes. Oh, oh, and one thing uh, worth mentioning is that uh, before uh, the man is shot, John takes note of his eyes, uh, and his irises seem to be dividing into into two separate irises, um, which is a really fantastic um, looking contact effect it's very disturbing yes kind and it's of one, and it's one that will repeat a little bit in the yes in the film it it's 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 just a level a level short of giving a character like goat pupils yeah to, to indicate wrongness eye wrongness um John is then enlisted by Arcane Publishing to locate one Sutter Kane. 
a, a, a name that John, up until this point, had seemingly never heard and then was uh, began hearing everywhere. There's a news report that he watches indicating that people are rioting because Slaughter Kane's new book hasn't released. Uh, copies of his old books are, are selling out. Um, people are... A ravenous for the Sutter Kane uh, work, and John just so happens to get drawn into that when, uh, once again, he visits Arcane Publishing and is hired to locate Sutter Kane because Sutter Kane has gone missing. Yes, and he's been hired to find out if there's fraud. It's <laughs> it's all a little weird. But um, that's yeah the, because that's the because step. yeah be, well the the weird thing is is well yeah Arcane Publishing is filing a claim and I I don't know how what what possible insurance claim they could be filing for a missing person. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I mean he's. He's an invest. He's an insurance investigator, but he's not like a detective. Even though he's he 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 essentially he's put is into yes, he's been put into that like mold. Yeah, because he he he's uh, it, it is shown uh, during his introduction that he actually does do know, a lot of investigative work. Uh, yeah, he he uh, deals directly with. Um, so in his in his insurance investigations, he's literally like doing detective work. He's going talking to people, getting statements, doing all of that same thing. Just well, I mean, technically it is in regard to crimes. So he's a detective, <laughs> just yeah. for an insurance company. Yes. So um, and and it's also worth pointing out that John John Trent's uh uh character trait is that he doesn't believe anything in in that he thinks that everything's a scam that that uh nothing genuine happens he's he's skeptical yeah he's skeptical but that like serves him well in his job because he's he's always doubting things so people have a lot harder trouble hiding stuff from him right um, and his his other character trait is he won't stop smoking. Actually, he none, will, of, none none of the people in this movie will stop smoking. No, indoors. Really, like <laughs> I didn't even think about it in Washington. There's a lot of cigarettes going on here. Mm. Yeah, I, when he started smoking in the office, I was like, oh, right, nineties. Even though in ninety five, you still probably weren't allowed to smoke in in office buildings. Like, oh yeah, people just smoked. Like all the time. Uh, anyway, uh, the uh, publishing director, uh, one Jackson Har- Harglow, played by Charlton Heston, uh, sends uh, John uh, or sets John up to investigate it, uh, while uh, Linda Stiles, Sutter Kane's editor. Uh, kind of snark flirts with John back and forth, uh, and and kind of indicates, yeah, you know what, you should, you, if you're gonna try to like 
suss out what's going on with Kang. Maybe you should read his work. Maybe you should become remotely familiar with the person that you're supposed to be locating. Just, you know, just just a little bit. So so John does. He goes to a bookstore, starts grabbing all of uh all of uh Kane's published novels. Uh and and one thing that that uh cannot be understated is that uh these books are, are look period appropriate and their covers are all on point. Uh they have some fantastically illustrated uh late uh, not late but mid 90s like trashy paperback um uh soft cover uh book novel vibes going on which i really appreciate yeah. um well even the trade like the book pricing on the in the film was very like low mm-hmm. i i still remember books maybe being a little bit more expensive at the time listen they this the this movie makes makes the publishing industry look bad enough you can't make them look greedy <laughs> <laughs> it could be that too it's it's the same thing you get when you're looking at like gas prices in these movies and going oh that's that's really inexpensive yep um uh john's accosted by a um a young man in the bookstore uh, that looks once again looks very ill. A lot of people look actively look sick in this movie. They're, well, and I mean, they're I'm literally a- kind of bleeding or weeping sores. Um, yeah, it's not that they look sick; they look diseased, and it's difficult. It's ne- it was really hard to watch this and go like, "Why are they allowed to be walking around <laughs> like in a store?" Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. All things considered, yes. Currently, looking at that, I'm sure this the the people's appearance is where most of the horror comes from but i believe the young man uh says uh i i can see uh yeah, tells, it's not even i see you it was um uh like you are seen yes he sees you he sees yeah. you i think something to that note um I'm sure written it down it happens it happens more than once again Yes. Uh and and as John returns to what I'm assuming is his apartment which uh, uh the entrance is located down the the rattiest the, se- um, <laughs> the seediest alley yeah. area with like it just it looked horrible and there's like burning uh oil drum trash cans. Oh yeah. Yeah, so it it's multiple of them. (laughs) So it 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 adheres to one of my favorite like '90s shorthand, like cinematic shorthand uh, uh, tricks, which is this film is set in New York. We have to make New York look super super dingy, and anything that isn't Times Square is like a war zone, a burnt out war zone. Um, which the inverse for the West Coast is we're going to slap an orange filter on on everything that's outside and everyone will be sweating profusely because LA is because California is on fire all the time. So yes. I, I and there everything is right on the beach too. Yes. Uh so I really I did really enjoy seeing like this very nostalgic like 
oh yeah, look at this this visual shorthand for the location where this this film is set. Uh, anyway, uh, John's heading home uh, allegedly and pass pass by a poster board that has a bunch of Sutter Kane book cover posters on it with a tear that he pulls just slightly, but then leaves alone and crosses an intersection where he witnesses a uh, uh, police officer just beating a homeless guy for spray painting. I can, I, what appears to be, I can see, but was interrupted partway through. Um, John watches it um, for a while. But a bunch Not, of people are watching it, apparently. Yes. Um, <laughs> and with no reaction, because once again, John's character trait is that nothing shocks him too. Like, he's kind of, like, not down with humanity. In, uh, in, in, he's a kind of a nihilist, cynical nihilist. Um, and, and the cop finishes beating the, uh, uh, homeless guy and turns around and says, you want some too, buddy? Which, ah, once again, also, also, one thing you must know about 90s films and New York is that all police are the baddest of the bad. They're all crooked. Um, but that's the end of that scene. But once again, that scene's important because it'll come back. At so, least like five times. <laughs> At least. Yeah. 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 Um, so uh, I guess we'll just we'll cut to some of the, the chase on this. Um, he yeah. using his amazing detective powers uh, and a little bit of booze and some cigarettes fuel he and um and yes he he discovers that all of the the various trade um paperback books uh the covers in them have like little outlined shapes and when you cut them all apart and then reassemble them it's it forms the state of new hampshire yes and there's a little dot on there which is um the the Potentially, it's the, the the fictional town of Hobbs End. So he he says "aha" and uh, runs back to well, not not immediately, but he eventually gets back to the Arcane Publishing House and um, brings his his discovery to the director, mm-hmm. and basically is accusing them of just doing a oh, he does this often also uh he's just saying that this is all a huge publicity stunt yes um, which of course i mean it, it it looks like it that that that's not a wrong like conclusion when it's their own book even though um apparently sutter king designed all the art or he, i don't know if he commissioned it or he painted it himself he did all the artwork himself for the yes the covers um the his his conclusion is that um it's a publicity stunt and then it's like there's a you know other you guys probably have some kind of prize for whoever can the first person to you know reach hobbs end or this fictional hobbs end um after discovering the book stuff and it's just great for the next book or wherever for your marketing right. and there's like the the new book that's coming out um it's already been optioned for a film, you know, so there's just yes. so much money tied up in this. 
Yes. Literally, uh, they literally say that Cytokine is a billion-dollar industry, and this is a billion-dollar industry in 1995 bucks. So, Which is a, a lot of money. Yes. A lot. So you think they would have put a little bit more um, effort into finding and tracking down their missing author? This, I think, so there's a there's an aspect of this this movie that makes the publishing industry just kind of look like complete and total scumbags. Like they're really kind of glib about like whether Kane's okay. They don't care whether or not Kane's okay. They only care that they his the next book, book is. Yeah. Right, his book is done. Um, yeah. yeah, so they're just like, yeah, we don't care if he's dead or not. Just as long as you find that the manuscript. Bring us yeah, the book. and oh, and one thing, one point that we completely lost over, which is the uh, man that tried to kill Trent, was Kane's literary agent, who had read a few chapters of the book and then seemingly went crazy. Yes. And that's been a marketing um, point of of sale for the publisher is that the less stable individuals readership um, develop issues after reading Kane's work. But yeah, they're, they they kind of downplay it, and it's like it'll just really scare you, and some people get like tremors or night terrors or that kind of thing. So it's just a, um, it's not a serious issue, but it's something that works in favor of like selling more books. Right. This actually will, and it'll scare you so much, you know, you'll, you'll get the heebie-jeebies or whatever. Um, but they're acknowledging that, yeah, there's, there's, it does cause, oh yeah. So, um, they know specifically that it causes disorientation, memory loss, and paranoia, um, in less stable readers and memory yeah. that's, a, that's a large problem you think that you well there it's all the money it's not about the responsibility so yeah and so i i did have i did have this watching it because there's a news report that that john watches it's like is Sutter kane like a cult leader because of the the fiction that he writes i'm like I'm, I I had a really immediate gut right reaction of like the attack on arts. I hate this. I hate like this this does this fictional thing cause actual real world madness? And I'm like it it can, but it doesn't make the fictional thing bad. But then I'm like, oh yeah, I know where this story goes. So. I, yeah, <laughs> it, it it left me really conflicted because I hate the argument of like, oh man, this art might be dangerous, but then when it's in service of, okay, yeah, the art's actually dangerous. Yeah, this art actually is dangerous. I actually can't get that mad at it. Yeah, not when not when it's it's technically not the art. It's what's yes. embedded in it. It's it's just that's just a medium of transmission. Yes. So it's something else because there's a greater thing just using that for a different, for like a sinister purpose. It's been like co-opted basically. Right. Because um, it's just a, it's just a way to transfer issues and gain power from like the masses. Yes. Yeah. But, but yes, it, it definitely comes off that way initially. 
Um, particularly when yeah, you're hearing a lot of the reports on TV and then you're seeing these riots that are starting. Yeah. To, there's already unrest and people having little violent bouts in, in around bookstores and just trying to get the new stuff. But it'll show pictures of it and you're like, no, they don't like, they look sick. <laughs> they're yeah. Not, they're not, it's not just people getting mad about a book or being, being out of stock. Although how charming was it that people were rioting outside of a bookstore? I was like, Oh, look at that. Simpler times. People yeah. being angry that they can't get a book. Uh, so. Yeah, that's... <laughs> wow. Um, yeah, you think this stuff wouldn't just come back, but it cycled right back around. <laughs> it just took it 25 years. Yep. The, the 25 year cycle. Mm-hmm. So Trent and Linda, uh, for whatever reason, I think that Linda's inclusion in this is weird, but I mean, ultimately it, 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 it isn't, um, are, are sent to Hobbs Inn to locate uh, Sutter Kane. And Trent's like, you know, for your sakes, you better hope that he's he. I don't find him there because then that's the actual proof that this was all a scam. Yeah. So, and, he, and he's hardlining into that, that line of thought the entire time. Um, yeah. They, for the sake of time, uh, they do make it to Hobbs End. Um, it's a fun little... 10 minute long road trip sequence uh that starts to devolve into craziness um when they eventually make it there we get uh, a this film loves to do um repeated scenes but then yes. like shift things sl- like skew it slightly each time uh we get this repeatedly it actually becomes like too much sometimes Mm-hmm. Like toward the end, I'm like, okay, I get, we get the point. You can don't need to do this seven times um, before <laughs> you make a decision. Um, they make it there. the The town's quaint. It's a the, it's a little slice of American pie, I think, is or Americana, um, mm-hmm. as as Trent says. But it's empty, or there's there's nobody just out in the streets. Um, it could also be that they're there at six o'clock in the morning. Yeah, but. Um, Regardless, it's uh, it looks quaint. Something's off. Uh, they find a little hotel. All right, yeah, that inn, inn, I guess. And uh, it's things are starting to resemble the the Hobbes end of the novel. So, uh, Kane is ostensibly been living or visiting this town and then using it as inspiration um for his books right because that it's it's down to the t as far as like locations and um the setting is concerned yes and trent's like aha look at this all of this proves that this was staged because it's such a perfect recreation of everything in his in his works and Linda's like, no, this, this place shouldn't exist. And, and Hey, I'm just going to come clean with you. Yes. It was originally a publicity stunt, uh, the map, the entire thing, but this place shouldn't actually be here. Like this should just, just be empty fields. Yeah. It was like, there wasn't, so there's no actual town. Like you can, you looked at maps. There was never a town here. Yep. 
you can you can look at the state registries and old old documents there's there's no town and i i i like the conceit of of a character admitting yes we were actually trying to like do do a thing but but now that the thing has gone too far we're clearly not in control of it and he's like yeah you're just uh, it's 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 all just promotion for this trash writing like john uh, john is also super not down with with kane's work he just thinks that it's garbage and exploitative horror trash and he, actively... he does give it some uh credit because he's like some of it's 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 bothering his sleep it is giving him issues when he reads it so on some level it's effective and yes. the prose is better than he expected um out of this type of uh, novel but he still is not he's not like bought and sold on it right um and and uh linda's like linda has read part of of Kane's next book, and she's telling John that things are happening from the book in this town. Uh, mainly when they arrive at the <laughs> giant the Byzantine chapel. The, yes, in the middle of the field, which looks like an absolute, like looks like a matte painting, but is is real. That church is one hundred percent real and is located in a field just like that for whatever reason thus making it a really great set piece for something that to for just wrong because it it does stick out like a sore thumb oh that, that church looks like that looks like money like that was not a that is expensive a very expensive uh building yes yes it it's is like marble and yeah, all kinds of things, and like the towns. I mean, the town would not have paid for that. Like they no. don't afford it. It's like it's a little tiny. You know, you can walk from one end one end of the town to the other. Um, so it it sticks out like incredibly. Aside from it having huge like, um, a minaret. I don't know what those are. They're just little towers. Big gold. I'll use John's phrasing: big gold <laughs> onions at the top. Yes. It's um, it's a sight, and yes. uh, we get we get treated also to the um, the the last ditch effort of the the local townies um rolling up on it in a uh, a mob and screaming for um Sutter Kane to show himself um because their their children have been um kidnapped. Yes, taken. Yes. Taken. Uh, uh... <laughs> <laughs> which yeah oh man it this leads to one of my favorite things in this movie because it is cheesy and and, and like it, it's goofy and if i was john and witnessed this i would absolutely be convinced that this was a big scam which is uh the leader of the the angry mob is like i want to see my son and i think his name's like johnny and the the Doors of the church blow open and Johnny's there. And then they slam shut repeatedly and then open again. And Sutter Kane's there looking incredibly smug. 
uh, played by uh, Jurgen Prochnow. Yeah. Um, another great character actor, character actor who you might have seen if you somehow managed to to tolerate watching House of the Dead. Uvi yes. Bowles, House <laughs> of the Dead. For sure. And then our, our, our leader of the mob is Wilhelm von Homburg, um, who everyone knows as Vigo the Carpathian. Yes. Ghostbusters too. Yep. <laughs> Which is also really jarring. Yeah. Now this, I mean, they <laughs> threw in some, some cast. This is, they were Yeah, playing. there's, like, this is, like, like everybody, you, really, like, everybody's are really good. Um, if, if you like actor actors and like good supporting character actors, this this movie is a tour de force of of both. Um. Anyway, uh, Sutter Kane appears, uh, smiles smugly, and then six like six like um five dozen Doberman pitchers on these town people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They they do the trick of like repeated them running around the corner, but. In the end, there's like twelve Dobermans. Yeah. Um, and once again, another another really time specific uh, bleed over from the '80s into the '90s that the attack jog of choice is, in, of course, the Doberman Pincher, because that was that was the villain dog for a good decade and a half. I oh yes. And you were also a fine villain if you if you sported an Uzi, yes, and maybe a mullet. <laughs> that shot, yes, an Uzi that shot Doberman Pinscher at people. <laughs> well, that's kind of what this felt like. <laughs> yeah. Um. Anyway, things start getting bad. Uh, like the the town is town people are mauled and make their escape. Um, John still thinks that this is all a scam. Um, everyone's uh, pay, paid actors. Everyone's paid actors. Everyone's everyone's in on it. Um, I'm gonna let you uh, concise this up, Dave, since I always tend to be a little long in the tooth, and you are excellently skilled at abridging the work. Yes, so it, what it boils down to is they uh, they flee. Trent and yes. Linda go back to the hotel. Trent's just done with this. He's like, "This is uh, this is a stunt. We're just gonna go back, and I'll let him know that yeah, this is totally a fraud." Um, he's got the proof he needs. Because every the whole and they've they've just magicked up an entire town that shouldn't be here, uh, and it's just it's a big mess. Uh, Linda, she's been kind of delirious the entire time, um, whether from presence of the town or from initially reading bits of the, the the latest book, which is in fact in the mouth of madness. So she may, she takes off with Trent's car. And goes to confront Kane at the church. Uh, we find a great set piece of Kane basically just like writing. He's working on his novel in the, um, the rectory. I guess that's what it was. Yes. Uh, 
and there's a big creepy door. The whole the whole place just looks kind of like fleshy. It's an, it's uncomfortable to look mm-hmm. at. Um, Kane is no longer human. He is a a force um, through. It's a conduit for his masters, his his new publishers <laughs> from yes. beyond and some other universe. And he forces Linda to read the book, which is just basically stare at the book, and it it, it the book reads you, I guess. Yeah, it uh, that begins her descent, her her final descent into um, into madness, and she she leaves to go basically convince uh, Trent. To, that he has work that he still needs to be done here. Mm-hmm. Uh, Trent finds out that not everything's as uh, fake as he assumed. There's there's definitely something going on. The proprietress of the inn. Uh, oh, so we neglected to mention this is <laughs> Pickman's inn. So yep, or Pickman <laughs> inn. So Pickman's model. They were they were yep. they were very on the nose with that one too. Um, the 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 in the book, uh, the proprietress of the inn had like hacked up her husband into coleslaw, as um, yeah. Trent says, and here it's she has him like handcuffed to her ankle and he's naked. Yep, and it's weird. Um, and then she transforms into a monster and does um start hacking him up. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Linda. Is she's been changed um, irrevocably by the book, and also begins to transform. Um, they do a really good job of like show or um, tell, not show. Actually, in this, yes. in this segment, she's tentacles and wings and who knows what else uh, within her skin, but we only get like a silhouette of it. Yes, um, through through a frosted door. Yeah, it's it's good. Yeah, uh, it's it... Trent's not having it. <laughs> <laughs> yep. He tries to get out of Dodge, um gets to his car, finds out that there's uh, the the people have like become a mob. They're no longer they've been the work has been done upon them, the children, the adults, everyone's part of this madness. And so he he hightails it out of there. He Let's us know he also has great um, uh, hot wiring skills. <laughs> uh huh. <laughs> because he loses, or rather, Linda took had taken his car keys and he just gets a screwdriver out and hot wires his own car in like two seconds. Yeah. It's great. Taken and and eaten his car keys. That yes, is- she swallowed them. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> so he gets out of town. Then he gets out of town. And a couple more times he gets out of town. So every yeah. time he leaves, um, the car gets flipped around and he ends up like right back on the main street. In it's like a nice camera trick. You're focused on the driver. The lights come on, like weird red lights hit him, and then he's just that's like the neon lights of the town. Yeah, or of back the bar of the bar. Uh, he eventually keys in that maybe he's meant to go do something or. Uh, He's not allowed to leave, but he's like, well, screw it. If I can't leave, I'm going to go confront um, Kane myself. 
Yes. So he well, he tries well, to. He, he, well, actually, he tries to just mow everyone over, but uh, in the crowd instead of running away, but uh, <laughs> ends up um, almost hitting Linda and crashes his car, and yes. then wakes up in Sutter in in the church. He wakes up in a confessional booth. Um, yes, with with uh, Kane um, in the booth, in the the connected booth, basically like laying out the whole rest of the plot. Yep, which is no different than what we already covered. The book is intended as a transmission method to gain power, uh, to release the his masters from from their dimensional prison. Which apparently they were put into, um, were meant to guess by the god and the angels, or something. Yes. Um, and now they're they've gained enough power to to make a gambit. Um, and this is like just enough juice to to set, sort of start setting them free. And mm. the whole goal of it is to just end everything the the a restructuring of the world with people as uh, a not a thing anymore. Yes, so the, the end of humanity. And he also Kane lets Trent know that um, it's his it's Trent's job. That's why he's been brought here is to deliver the manuscript to the publishing company so it can be printed and sent out in its billions of copies to the world. Uh, furthermore, as as icing on the cake, um, Trent isn't even real. Or he's real, but he's not a real person. He is a character from In the Mouth of Madness, the novel. Yeah. And he's been written as such and has no no agency save from being a delivery method of the delivery method. Yeah. Weird double doubling of that. But um yeah. And there's a little bit of a showdown. Not really a showdown, but uh Trent and Linda and Sutter Kane uh, are all in Sutter Kane's office. The door breaks free in probably the best way because it's just uh, Sutter Kane like tearing himself apart as if he is like the cover of a book. Yes. And we get the hole in the door behind him is a, just a hole in space with uh, page like pages of an inverted book. And you can yes. read the text on both sides. It's it's a nice little touch. And um, Linda finishing the exposition, basically saying, "Hey, you're 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 fiction, but take the book and go." Yeah, I I actually really like the 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 opened door section because as as Trent is looking through the aperture Linda is reading uh Kane's what he's novel. doing yeah uh, and 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 it, and it's really effective because she's reading what Trent is seeing but the audience never sees it so it it is peak like perfect kind of lovecraftian ex uh, execution of you don't want to show too much but you just want to describe it enough that it makes you really feel uncomfortable and I think that that moment right there nails it the best um, yeah they, in, we, in, did, we didn't film. get some weird uh, very bad CG vision of 
whatever this other dimension is. It's just a void. Yeah. It's um, a void from which things crawl from the very bottom. They they, they spill upwards. Um, yes. As the narration goes, which is evocative. And there's the there's a purplish tint from the depths that um, backlight them. Uh, well, Trent sees this, decides he doesn't want to stay right there, and he like he leaves the book and just hoofs it out this other tunnel that just magically appeared. Um, and we're treated to an excellent um, uh, stop motion. Uh, movie montage just a bunch of creatures made from like little little puppets uh that are that are very good and very gooey Um, oh i i will say dave that actually wasn't stop motion that was uh there were a couple people in costumes yeah i'm I'm thinking they're actual i said stop motion they're they're practical effects is what that was yes oh yes 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 and then a big a big gooey mass that is made of multiple creatures that is just on a rail being pushed like being pushed by people that are that are flanking the people in in costumes it's a really good effective effect because um you don't get a lot of it you just get a lot of uh close up shots of gooey apertures and teeth and claws while having a uh, set, uh in the wider shots uh um Trent's uh, running, but the creatures in the background are so out of focus that they're basically unintelligible. It's uh, it's very shaggy uh, in the best way. Possible. Yes, and it's all kind of there's. It's not quite strobe lit, but it's close. So the the lighting is done just enough to you get a an idea of what these things look like. Yes. And uh, they they put a really good emphasis on like so it's all done on camera. They do a really good emphasis on the sound design. These things are heavy. They're massive. Um, they're much larger than like a person because mm-hmm. they're filling a, a tunnel um, with, yeah. with all their forms. So it's it's very well done, and it doesn't it lingers. It's 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 maybe I don't even know if it's a ten seconds. It's not a very long shot. No, no, not um, long. So it's just enough to like underscore the danger and the horror, uh, and then then let it go. Yeah, which uh, it does. We, we, yes, and he's immediately on a crossroads. Fitting, fittingly enough, is where he mm-hmm. kind of falls and doesn't really wake up. He's just appears. Um, he's he's back in Kansas. Uh, finds a local boy. Who directs him to the, so kindly to the highway where he can hitchhike freely, and yes. um, eventually uh, make his way back to uh, New York? Yes, after uh, doing some inquiries uh, regarding Hobbs End, uh, of and course, finding everyone... it's not a place. <laughs> yep, surprise! It's not a place. Uh, he he yells at the at the civic worker and and asks to speak to her supervisor uh before angrily leaving um i i've just realized apparently that that paperboy uh, was hayden christensen oh that's right it was i forgot he was he was small small child here we we lad 
if this was this was oh well, I say small child he was like fourteen or something yes this was before he hated sand so much yeah this one he just hates crossroads and delivering papers um Trent uh returns to Arcane to deliver his report uh or actually no we should actually talk about one of the best scenes which is uh Trent's uh uh bus ride back to New York yes so uh yes yeah, he's, he's taking probably a greyhound we don't know just bus. it's probably a greyhound probably or a an yeah yeah it doesn't matter He's on the bus. There's a lot of other people with him. Um, he's tired. He is having fits of sleep. Uh, he'll doze, wake, and then find himself um, alone on the bus, except for Sutter Kane is just kind of chilling next to him mm-hmm. and saying that he has no... Um, so what's happened is he left the manuscript, but it keeps, like, reappearing to him. Yes. Like, it gets mailed to him in weird places, or, you know, just, basically he just can't get rid of it. Even though he tried to burn it, he tries to do all, all kinds of things. Um, and Sutter Kane is basically saying, you just need to do your job. Like You only have the one task, and uh, there's nothing you can do to get away from it now. Uh, because I am a god, and I am the god of this world. And it's just going to go like I want. You just need to, you know, be quiet in color with your little black crayon. And uh, he lets him know, like... It's probably my probably it's maybe his best line. It's like to show my favorite is. color is blue. Mm. Yeah, he <laughs> and, says when you when yeah. you wake up from this dream, take a look around. Did I ever tell you my favorite color was blue? And as he wakes, um, everything the world has been hit with blue filter. And, yep, and everyone's wearing blue clothes, and it just it's it's too much. He he begins. It's the kind of scream where you're like not gonna stop screaming. Yeah, and 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 the scene is made pitch perfect by all of the extras' reactions to Trent screaming. My favorite being the old woman next to him who just kind of clutches her fists and like shields her face and starts screaming herself. Yes. I'm like, yep. I'm like, yep, that's pretty accurate for somebody freaking out on the bus. This that's this like place, two, like that, like not even a foot from you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But, but uh, he, wakes, he wakes. He does the dream within a dream. Wakes again. Um, everything's as it should be, but he knows it's not now. Right. Uh, and he, yes, he gets uh, he gets back to the um, the publishing company. Finds out that uh, time's all wonky. Um, everything's irrevocably bad because he apparently had already, uh, dropped off the, the novel months ago. Yeah. And the books have been out on sale for weeks with a film already in post-production. The book, the book's been out for seven weeks and the film releases in the next week <laughs> after after this meeting um, so yeah uh yeah uh Trent just loses time um it's kind of the only aspect only aspect that I don't like about that I have an issue with, which is is just 
okay, so his he has no agency. He has to deliver the manuscript. He's desperately trying not to. So to just rectify it, Sutter Kane just writes that he forgot that he did it and that it's been like twelve weeks since he's he's two months since he's 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 done it. And it's the only thing like I feel like him having to actively participate and be aware of of the the delivery would have been stronger than and you just it just kind of time skipped and you did it because that's what you do yeah it's, and the whole, the whole thing feels that way because um even linda was written out of like the real world yeah yeah when yeah when when Trent's making his escape from from the horrors from beyond. He asks uh, Linda to go with him, and she says, "I can't. I've already read till the end," and which means that she and which Trent discovers to mean that she never existed. That nobody remembers that she even existed because she might as well never have. Um, and and that's all there is to it because nobody acknowledges Linda because she has as Trent said, has been written out. Yeah. So things, it, um, things go really bad for Trent. He he goes from, like, being fine to being maniac seemingly over, like, night, um, and uh, ultimately ends up with Trent looking much like uh, Kane's uh, agent, uh, wearing a trench coat and carrying an axe and asking asking a lump young fellow outside of a book co- uh, bookstore if uh, if he likes Sutter Kane or likes the new book. Kid says yes, and Trent says, "Well, then this shouldn't surprise you." And buries an axe in his head. That's how we get to loop around to the beginning of the. Yes, and we we do find that so it comes back to Trent um, telling this story to Doctor Wren, uh, yes. And the entire time where we come to understand that Wren and everyone else is aware that something's gone vastly wrong with like the society at large. Yes, uh, and he was hoping Doctor Wren was hoping that Trent would be able to shed some light on that subject, but he comes away going, "No, he was just a crazy man." And that thinks he's a fictional character, and uh, we, it it swiftly because Trent is an unreliable narrator. We go from Doctor Ren leaving to some amount of time has passed again, even though Trent didn't know, and uh, the 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 madness has reached the asylum. Like there's no people left. There's just. Viol- evidence of violence and um, we get a great uh, uh, Carpenter's always good about this but doing a great radio um, announcement of the world like basically ending and it's a it's a lone uh, radio operator you know saying is there, if there's anyone else out there you know just be careful because everything's gone to pot and this is all that's left like it's spread it's spread worldwide you know I don't even know if anyone's listening to me and uh, it um it just kind of trails down from there with uh, Trent eventually um finding a, a movie theater that's just playing in the Mount of Madness and yep. yeah he he just decides to um eat that bit of gypsy pie and go go sit and watch um 
and go crazy as he sees himself on the screen in flashbacks of the movie we just watched. Yes. I I I I think that it was a really good decision that it wasn't even different actors yeah, portraying was, the scene. I, even I was going like, is it gonna be different? Like, no, nope, it's it, they're just replaying scenes we've already seen. Yeah. I also really kind of love like the built-in plot protection of well, you can't tell somebody you can't convince people that you're you're not crazy by telling them to read the book because then they'll just become infected. So yeah, you're, yeah, you're kind of stuck. Um, yeah, that's in the mouth of madness. It's it's pretty good. Um, by 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 virtue of of the the twist and the conceit of of the film, you don't get a lot of character development because. Um, there, there's also kind of an interesting aspect of like, is Sutter Kane actually that good of a writer? Because um, there's stuff that's questionable. But um, uh, yeah, this was a really fun watch. I was really glad to uh finally um uh to to see this. Um, you know, uh, as most people, if any of you out there follow my my YouTube work, you know that I'm a giant Alan Wake fanboy, and, and also it's clear that uh, this influenced Alan Wake quite a bit as well, um, as did the works of Stephen King and H.P. Lovecraft. So it was a very familiar, very comforting um, watch uh, for for a lot of um, agency themes that I, I'm super into. And I do believe, Dave, that our wayward Cameron had some notes on In the Mouth of Men. He did. Let's um, pull him up, shall we? All right. This is, this is our boy Cameron. In the Mouth of Madness is a lot of fun and feels like a Lovecraft-style story that's been well adapted to the screen. I really enjoyed Sam Neill's descent into insanity, and although the twist of being written along by Kane was easy to see coming, the story as a whole was really well done. The creature and makeup effects were pretty damn good and, imp and improved by being done in a fleeting, barely-glimpsed style. So, yeah, the, all, all points that we, like, agree on and... That's a nice little um, summation of, I think, what we just spent like an hour <laughs> going yes. over. Yes. Uh, yeah, so that's that's in the mouth of madness. Um, we'll return, of course, to these themes in a later episode because we should also cover Prince of Darkness. I think that that's more than fitting. Yes. Um, and we've already done the thing, so we don't need to do that again. Although it's yes. really good, and everyone should watch it again. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's always tough to be like, yeah, well, we already covered the thing, but but it's so good. That's why it is there. There is classic. a prequel. Yeah, no, a sequel in production, and it's oh. it's by it's by a um a company that. Kickstarter, which I we I think all of us back to Kickstarter, uh, they they re 
pulled up um the original author's stories and um got them back into into distribution oh, so they're they're okay. big big fans of the original um uh, it it came from outer space um I think I would know the name of the book, but I have forgotten it. Oh, the thing, uh, the thing from outer space. It's yeah, it's something like that. And I think the like the original story was like called "Who Goes There." Mm, Who goes there? Yes, it's by um, John W. Campbell Jr. Yes, but um, his his Frozen Hell, I think, is the adaptation um, for the film, ah, probably. Okay, so. But yes, um, we will probably at some time cover that, but that, that will be a while because the movies, I, I don't know what it's in some sort of like pre pre production at this point, particularly right. with everything going on. So that, that'll be at a later, later time. Um, however, we ha we have another film to cover. We do. Yeah, we'll, we'll do this one a little, <laughs> we'll put a little bit more, uh, uh, brevity into it and yes we'll make make we'll this a quicker go it's also a, a quicker film yes we'll make it a little more succinct yep um this is uh 1995's um i almost said in the mouth of madness now lord of illusions uh, um written and directed by mr clive barker which we did not uh, we haven't done any clive barker stuff there's tons of books of blood um Hellraiser. We should, probably, we should probably at least do the book. Um, Hell, yeah. Hellbound Heart, I think, is Heart. the book. And then yeah. um, our our most like correct one to or appropriate one to cover uh, would be Nightbreed. Of course, yes. Which is phenomenal and uh, fortunately, unfortunately, I don't know how you want to... It's a, a, a way better film. <laughs> than Lord of Illusions was. Yes. Um, for the podcast. Thematically, Lord of Illusions still does what we thought it was going to do. Yeah. Yes. Uh, I hope you so like Dave. nihilism. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Dave, take us down the long, windy path of Illusion. Yeah, so uh, Lord of Illusions, it centers on a um, magician, or an, Ill an illusionist. He's not, he's not a magician. It's a dark a practitioner of dark magic. Um, it's, it's Swan, but I, don't, I can't think of what his first name is. Yeah, I... Yes, he, he's only... I, it's got one. Actually, it's got one. Does, does he, Dave? Because I think he's only referred to as Swan throughout the entire film. Well, he, Philip Swan. I took the there we to go. Quickly pull it up. <laughs> so Swan gets uh, he, he he does crazy um, uh, Chris Angel or David yes. Blaine and gets that style of like vegas showmanship but his stuff's always a little bit darker it's very violent um yes but he has uh actual like dark magic power 
Yes. Uh, he, he has abilities. He can kind of, he has telekinesis. He can float himself. He can do fire snakes. All kinds of, all kinds of little fun tricks. Um, but he gained his power um, accidentally. Uh, he <laughs> he originally was a follower of a cult leader um, in the Mojave Desert in 1982, um, a man called Nix, who was was dubbed or he called himself the Puritan, and he was leading this weird little doomsday cult um, out in the desert in a shady looking house. Um, unfortunately, or sorry, unfortunately, uh, the, the cult began kidnapping children and, um, Swan, along with a few of his other fellow cultists just like weren't down with the, I guess the, they, they wanted the magic stuff, but they weren't down with like the angle of what was, how it was all being done. Or maybe it was involving sacrifices. They just weren't, they weren't going to do it. So they all tried to, um, uh, do like a uprising and get rid of um, Nyx. <laughs> yes. Well, they know that Nyx actually has magic powers, so they had to devise a way to. He, he was. They're afraid of his demonic power or his potential immortality. They can't just. You can, they couldn't just shoot him and be done with it. So they have to shoot him a whole lot. Uh, bury him, but prior to doing that, seal away his dark power with a really inventive uh, set of um, uh, man in the iron mask mask. Yes, uh, that part yes. was really good. We'll, we'll 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 come back to that like at the end, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Swan it, Swan explicitly says that he's binding him. Yeah, uh, when, when they put it. Yeah, so they they rescue the girl. There's some bit of casualties the the uprising of i guess four of them uh they don't get away like free from this swan um himself suffers a magical attack um at nix's hands like quite literally nix jams his hands into swan's head and was trying to unlock some sort of power but also um un- unhinged swan a little bit yes uh swan it turns out eventually um he he takes custody i guess of the kidnapped girl and eventually marries her so it's a little weird but uh it's a it's a a marriage of convenience because it it's it's swan knowing that nix is not um gone for good so it's his way of keeping an eye on everybody that um was associated with like overthrowing nix yes is, is what that turns into um all of this is uh is is followed up by a um detective uh, Harry Demore um uh, played by Scott Bakula it's a, it's a nice good performance um it is a a i think a riff on the old uh hard boiled like noir detectives um mm-hmm. he feels very uh hairy angel um yes and it's uh he is high, or he's looking into um i guess he's he's he generally deals with occult cases and he's he's kind of shooken up because he was um in investigating an exorcism that went wrong 
Uh, we, we only get this through like small little horrifying um, flashback scenes. But um, he he gets caught up um, in this because he's looking at he's looking for a man named Quaid, and Quaid was one of the uh, cult members that had overthrown Nix. Yes, who who now has been um, hunted down by a uh, the right hand follower that survived from Nix. It's a very pasty fellow. Yeah, um, I. I, I I like this guy because the reason he survives is because somebody points a shotgun at him and he runs for like two miles. Yeah, he just took off. It was really good. <laughs> <laughs> but um Yeah, so it, it's like just through happenstance that um Harry gets kind of caught up in this and he he ends up um getting requested by uh swan's wife to to like basically i think act as protection for swan i think mm-hmm. that's what happened and so to to do that um she has him uh, attend one of swan's shows because she wants to impress upon him like the legitimacy of like um swan's like magnetism and like why someone may be after him uh, and this is because uh, Quaid, who was running the fortune teller shop, was was in fact murdered by our our mysterious um, cultist, and that because that happened, there's other people that are uh, that are um, in danger now, right? So including Swan, <laughs> including Swan. So they go to the the show. Um, Swan is doing a new uh, his newest trick. Um, it goes wrong. Mm-hmm. And it's in, it's a it's a a lot of it looks like tarot card yes uh, bits and this is the um the card of swords yeah which my my tarot is not good so it's there, there's a chandelier filled with sharp swords um and they they are magnetically released and the whole illusion is for him or the trick is for um swan to like unbind himself from this table that's spinning uh, before the swords fall down it doesn't go as planned he gets skewered um, he is killed and uh that takes him off of the hit list yes much to the uh, right hand man chagrin yes Um, he's he's very upset because he thinks someone else murdered um swan yeah but he doesn't know who, but he assumes uh, Harry, the detective, knows because he, why else would he be there? Because he's met him before um, at the at the, um, the murder of Quaid. Uh, yes. Yes. So, oh. go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, uh, th- I think this this scene after after Swan's death with with Lackey uh, and 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 oh man and Harry. Uh, yeah. is 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 indicative of uh, of the noir feeling that kind of permeates this movie which is they are having there's it feels like something out of of, of Chinatown where yeah. he punches Harry in the nose breaks his nose and then they have a really casual like uh conversation about what Harry knows and I'm like 
yeah, this is this feels like noir. This isn't like reality because nobody has a ca- casual conversation like this after having their nose broken. They but but it, there's an aspect of the way that the the dialogue is handled specifically in this scene that is is peak noir to me. Yeah. Uh so it 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 continues on that vein um that's none, none of this detours um it's it's in, in fact it's like serving to um cement Harry's interest in this even though his client has just been killed. Yes. Uh, or te- technically his client is Dorothea the um Swan's wife, but um his, the person he's supposed to protect is dead. Uh he thinks there's something up with it. it's it's all fishy to him just just by virtue of this happening like right now. Um, right. So he digs into a little bit further about the like the the magician community and goes to Magic Castle where there's a whole slew of practicing magicians uh and they they're it's like a cabal and they're mm-hmm. all upset at Swan because Swan was dabbling in dark things and not not hewing to like the magician's code or whatever. We we don't get a good um like full take on it. It's just like one man who's like the prima donna. <laughs> yes. And it's um oh I wish I should have pulled up his name. It's another character actor who's in like a bazillion movies. Oh uh, yeah. Uh ooh. Oh yeah, it's also worth uh noting that uh Funkin Funka Jimson is is in this movie. Yes, she is uh, she is in fact um Dorothea. Yes. Um which was something that I had completely forgotten because I had um uh cuz I actually do pay attention to things that Funka Jimson is in uh for for whatever reason. I think I that started uh after uh the House on Haunted Hill remake and Oh, it actually probably started around the first X-Men movie. <laughs> come, to, come to think of it. Oh, uh, yeah, but, um, yeah, the, I, yes, the character actor that we're, we're speaking of, I wish I could, uh, pull up his name too, uh, or think of it. Um, it is Vincent, is, Vincent Chiavelli. Yes, there we go. Uh, who you might know as the abusive train ghost from Ghost. Yes. Or as my personal favorite, uh, the organ grinder from Batman Return. Yes, or his um, 161 other movies. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yes, uh, it, it, uh, it appears that they did not like Swan because Swan used actual magic. Um, like, actual, actual magic. And there is no room in the magic castle for actual magic. Yes, and they thought Swan was, like, pretentious and hokey. Yes. Like, he's doing real magic, which is bad, but then he's, like doing it in far too showboaty of a way. Yeah. Because um, it's it's like endangering their I don't know their magician's creed or something. They don't that doesn't it doesn't get into it really. 
No, but I do really like the idea of, oh, hey, I can do actual magic, but to throw people off the scent that I can do actual magic, I'm going to present it in the, like, tackiest, like, most grandiose way possible so that people can't possibly take it seriously. Yeah, and so he he finds... um one of the magicians willing to like deal with him. And so they agree to um, basically sneak into Swan's uh, office, like his mm-hmm. nearby office thing. And um, they're trying to get like the goods, trying to get more information on what Swan was up to or who may have been trying to kill him. There's a lot of like stuff that um, Harry like needs to know. <laughs> right. And it's difficult when the man who you'd be trying to question is dead. <laughs> so they go through, and um, it's it's a fun little little segment. Uh, Swan has a lot of booby traps and um, holographic monsters. That part was cool. Um, but ultimately, they get a. Uh, a, a I think it's a bit of a. It's a diary. It's a bit of a book. I don't I remember like exactly what they uncovered. Right. It was, a, it was a book with some stuff in it. No, it's um, it's a, it's it's talking about Nix. I think it was a diary talking about like the cult. Oh right. Uh, is this where she reveals that that well, where she actually in movie reveals that she was the the the. Uh, girl from from the beginning that uh, I think so yeah so um oh and by yeah. the way uh, um um Nix's lackey is named Butterfield okay I just thought he had like the um Rammstein here? Yes. Yeah, see, sometimes it's Rammstein hair, sometimes it is hard rockabilly hair. It it yes. fluctuates. He's 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 a very he is he is a he is a a a man that stands out in a crowd. Uh, a lot of vinyl pants. Yes, and he has um uh heterochromia like he has yes. one one pale eye and one not pale eye so you can't you yeah. can't mistake him even if he changes his hair yeah exactly unless he puts a contact in <laughs> um but uh yeah so <laughs> uh dorothea is well she's obviously way younger than swan even though it's femke jensen and she's probably the same age as the other actor but mm. um she and Harry get it on. It's random. Yes. She's not she's, like, she's not married to Swan for love. It's literally just to protect her from Nyx. So right. yeah. Um but however, uh we find out that Swan may in fact not be dead because uh his origami ghost shows up <laughs> and um throws fire snakes. Yes. 
and then and then turns into an effect from a fractal effect from sliders and flies out the window. Yeah, it's bad. Like, it, the it's really cool. It's just they just could not do it with 1995 technology. Well, this is clearly like they clearly did not hire IL 1995 ILM to to no. to <laughs> do these special effects. No, um, it's, yeah. There's there's it's some, not it's not great, but um, dodgy effect work and whatever. The idea was cool, I guess. Uh, Valentin is Swan's assistant. He is um. Mm, no, he's not. So they they had they're having the funeral because um, Swan's dead. It's a funeral. Um, they find out that they don't actually have his body because he's not dead. But they're gonna bury a thing to keep um, Nick's or you know the the cult off of his trail. Uh, Harry stakes out the funeral. Sees, of course, a suspicious man who's Swan going to he couldn't he couldn't oh what is he? he's like you couldn't you couldn't stay away from your own funeral could you swan you had to stay and see who would cry the most over you <laughs> um we find out that swan in fact does have real magic because he's like levitating an entire car and going to crush um harry yes like again super dilapidated sewage yeah i don't know where they're at it's oh oh yeah no that's like one of the like um, that's like one of the reservoir flows. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, it, all over LA. Yeah, yeah. So it's yeah, it's one of the um canal. Yeah, there we things. go. That yeah, yeah. I know what they look just, like. I just can't think of the name of it. The ones where you see people driving their cars in them in movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, from T two that place. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So um, yeah, he shakes Swan down. Uh, they agree to, well, if if Nix is coming after you, he's gonna f- and and you and he's as powerful as you say he is. He's gonna find you anyway. So let's like go take care of him first. Basically, is what it boils down to. Yeah. And um, Butterfield, our boy, uh, kidnaps um Dorothea and takes Valentin because Valentin knows where Nix's body was buried, which is what he's been. Butterfield's been just taking out the um the cult uh coup members um yeah. just find out where they buried Nix. but none of them knew except for swan and obviously valentine who was told by swan where they were right. ultimately buried Nix. because he he has spent um this last 15, 15. years um studying the magic he needs to be able to resurrect Nix. Because right. he couldn't, he could. It took it took him this long because he just didn't. It was difficult to learn the stuff by he, himself. Because he was the most eager, but the lamest student. Yeah, basically. <laughs> and and Swan was the like star student, right? So they go dig up Nix, and um, Valentin gets jacked up even more. Ultimately, he dies, but not before being able to deliver the last little message um, with his dying breath because it's dramatic. Right. Um, and then they have a they they all head out back to the the Mojave cult house and have yes. a showdown. 
I, and all the all the old cult members have all come back and are culting it up. Uh, they uh, they they went off to have lives, which they seeming seemingly self destructed as soon as Butterfield let them know that he could bring Nyx back, which is is super weird and also kind of uncomfortable of a concept uh, of how strong Nyx's power was over these people. Yeah, yeah. And then they um, uh, they give each other haircuts and it's gross because it's like they're just shaving each other bald but not caring about safety. So there's a lot of stab wounds. Um, I didn't like yeah. that part. But uh yeah, there Butterfield does his 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 magic. It's not even any magic; he just made tools to cut off the mask, or to cut it <laughs> yeah, off, to like get it off um, because it, it was in fact magically sealed by Swan. Yeah, it was. Um, yeah. It's a cool like multi multi stage iron spiky mask thing. Um, yeah, Nyx was in the ground for fifteen years, but just looks like mummified because it's the desert uh, <laughs> and as each piece of the mask is removed um more of his body like it regenerates he doesn't mm-hmm. fully look okay i mean they left yeah. enough like gross to make him more it's effective it makes him spooky yeah um, he has like scar tissues and stuff from the uh the mask just being jammed on his face for 15 years um he does his thing we find out um, his great plan uh, was never to like be ruling over a cult or the world. He just wants everything to be destroyed. He just wants to end like the world. Yes, like kill everything, destroy everything, and have Swan at his side, um, helping him get stuff done a little quicker. Um, and then ultimately, Swan also would have to die. And then presumably, also Nick Nix would end himself at that point too. Yes. So it's just an ultimate, like, annihilation of everything in existence. It's a, quite a lofty goal. Um, and, yeah, Nyx is set to do that. He's he has amassed enough dark power over his 15-year slumber. Um, but he has, to, his, his thing is he has to sacrifice, he has to trade something for something. So... Uh, it's an equivalent exchange um, because he's been brought back from beyond uh, and seen all the terrible things and gained more power. But um, to he can't just be resurrected with no um, sacrifice. And he, it, yeah. it looks like it's going to be Dorothea. He um, he opens his yawning void into hell or something, and all his his cult members that have been obediently waiting for him as lambs um yeah he just sacrifices them instead yep in like a uh a good way it's not a good way it's very a very visually evocative way um the sprinklers come on in the house surprise there's water out there but uh the the little basement they're in is like soaked um the earthen earthen ground and then the light system like short circuits sort of i think it's supposed to be shocking them it's really like 
not clear on what's going on other than the ground eventually turns into mud and sucks everybody into it but in mm. only like varying ways some people are completely subsumed some of them are like half left out some of them are just a hand sticking out of the ground uh but that's that they are his sacrifice for him to have returned yes he, um and he also gets a uh he also gets a third eye, which instantly makes yes, think his pineal gland. Yes. Yep. <laughs> his pineal gland has been activated. He can see <laughs> from beyond. Yeah. Which is is actually kind of sort of what he does. That's kind of what his little his little finger trick at the beginning is, um, yeah. because that this is where it comes back again, where he just makes people uh, see other people for what they are, which is just big piles of meat, um, which uh, if you follow the uh, usual Leonard Dave only episodes is very on brand with Thomas Ligotti. <laughs> yeah, this entire, this entire thing is very, very Ligottian. Um, just this idea of annihilation of everything's better if it just isn't. Yeah, yeah, and it's and it's um he does a really I mean he's um Nix is like chewing scenery. He, his speeches are great, um, but he basically he's he's he says it like out flat. He's like, I my my plan was to become a god, but then I like changed my mind. <laughs> yeah, he's like, you know what? Everything just just be gone. How about that's a better that's a better solution. I'm. I've been dead for so long. It's just, it's, he's like, it's basically, it's boring and lonely. And that was only a few years. Like, why yeah. would I want to be immortal or whatever? Yeah, so, exactly. Like, everything should just end instead. Cause that's, that's preferred. Um, and then everything, everything is, and this is a Clive Barker conceit too, but everything is, um, flesh is, uh, weak and it's a waste. And it's only good for um, sensation. Yes, and that's that's a through line from like all of Hellraiser, um, everything else. It's 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 the thing that's just a shell. Um, and if you're trapped in it, then that can be used like against you. Mm -hmm. um, and that's what this is too, because uh, it, he, Nick wants Swan to um, service his like right hand. But Swan won't let go of. Um, it's not technically the pleasures of the flesh because he's not. He's involved with Dorothea because of like actual love, right? I don't feel that it's like strictly carnal desire. It's just he won't. Um, he's not in a. Um, Swan isn't in a position where he's like willing to annihilate everything. He has stuff he cares about. Basically, is what right. it boils down to. So Nix does away with him. Um, Gives him the old razzle dazzle again, and uh, that sets up to um, Harry kind of stepping in. Harry gets finger zapped too. Um, yeah, it's a there's a lot going on. Uh, this part, like, honestly, this only so the movie leading up to this is kind of dry. It, it's a little slow, but this like the finale with this showdown with Nick's and everything. This is the good stuff. This is like worth all of the extra 
bits and the um the runtime i'll have to watch the theatrical cut because there's um there's 11 minutes of extra in the director's cut oh okay and i'm thinking it's like some of his dialogue and some of it's probably the violence because again this was like this was much bloodier than um, in the mouth of madness yes but it still wasn't like I was expecting way worse um, just from watching the Hellraiser films. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it's this, not, this was like kind of lowballing it. Yeah. It's not like, I think, I think Swan's Swan's uh, illusion death is probably the, no, there's also, um, there, there's quite a, there's quite a, the, um, their murderers were pretty bad. Yeah. Like with Quaid. Yeah, Quaid. Quaid's death. Uh, Butterfield does get one of my favorite lines that I've held on to um, from movies, uh, which is, have you ever watched someone die? If you're, if you look closely, you can see their soul escape from their And if you're very quick, you catch it. I'm like, ah, oh, that's a good line. That's a that's a, yeah, that, that's that, a that was good, and it's like right in the, the 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 movie like throws its stuff down in the beginning, and then kind of meanders, and then picks back up right at the end. Yep. But yes, so uh, Nick's he's laid out his vile plan. He's shown his vile third eye weakness, <laughs> yeah. and we learn that Dorothea is a crack shot. Um, when she's stressed <laughs> and can hit a um, a hole the size of like a f- fingernail, uh, under crazy conditions with a revolver. We we we. I funny enough, they do actually establish that at the beginning because she is the one that she is the one that shot him in the back. Yes. Yeah. So they they that is actually a thing that is actually a legitimate callback that that was set up at the beginning of the film. So that one yes. she's at least is, familiar enough with uh, a firearm. However, I mean maybe she I guess if you knew your life was under threat, yes, you probably would have done some training <laughs> in, intervening years. Um, maybe 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 those 11 minutes of cut footage is her at a gun range. Could have been uh, but regardless, she shoots him right in the middle of the head. Um, he does the greatest, like, disgusting transformation. Yeah, it's really good. It it's, He looks like uh, a necromorph. It looks like a practical necromorph transformation from Dead Space. Yeah. It's probably my favorite bit. There's a lot of weird fractally, like, fungus-looking things that come out of all of his pores. Mm-hmm. Orifices. Um and he's basically just saying, I'm just going to drag everything down to hell with me. You know, that's just what we're going to do. Um, uh, thankfully, Swan isn't quite all the way dead and has just enough juice left to randomly levitate Harry. Uh, <laughs> it was a weird plan. I think he could have just done the same thing by pushing him, but whatever. Uh, he levitates him up enough to go, like, knock Nick's center of balance off. He gives he, him he gives him the 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 thumb to the eyes and then pushes into the hole. Yeah, he touches this gross. Uh, yeah, it's real gross. His hands are are never gonna be good again 
after after this. Yeah. I wanted it to show him with like bandaged hands that are like perpetually blueberried. <laughs> but yeah, we don't we don't get that. He just he falls down, um, engulfs in the um the the magmas of Mustafar. Um, yes, at the bottom of the pit, and we get a very good Evil Dead kind of like spirit ghost cam force the force. Yep, uh, which comes up out of the hole um, because of course he's like, oh, it, it's over, everything, everything's over. He's been burned up. The hole's still there. Um, but yes, the house is. I was hoping the house was going to be sucked into it. Yes, it, just, it kind of explodes instead. Uh, but, um, sort of. Uh, but yeah, the force comes out. It 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 skins and def completely defleshes um, Swan's body, uh, and I guess it only has a limited like a minute of activation. I don't know. It's <laughs> it's very brief, but it's enough. It's just enough time for them to uh, um, Harry and Dorothea to get out of the house um, before the house uh, kind of or the insides of it or whatever gets sucked into the the void. Um, yeah, Nix's ultimate. Nix's ultimate um, is is incredibly powerful, but it has a a really short range and small activation time. Yeah, but he'll take all your skin off if he if he can catch you. <laughs> yeah, it's yep, uh, and that's it. That's <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and then people? they just and then they and then and then they just walk away. Uh, into the into the the desert, and the yep. movie's over. They've got no water. It's probably pretty far to the next place. There's no cars. Have fun. Yep. And in 1995, don't forget because there were no cell phones. Yep. You'll have to find a payphone somewhere. Even though there was a car, there 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 was a car somewhere, somewhere around there. that property. Yeah. And that's yeah, that's Lord of Illusion. Um. I was I was I was telling you before we started, Dave, that I think the I, I think one of the biggest problems with with the film is is the opening uh, flashback because so much of that really dry kind of uninteresting middle portion of the movie is spent watching uh, Scott Bakula trying to figure out what's going on. But but we already know what's going on, so we're not really receiving any new information. Yeah, we're just watching him kind of flounder and then hope he clues in on it sooner than he does. Yeah, and I really think that this movie would have been better served, like, leaning into that kind of hard-boiled detective, like, supernatural. Basically a John Constantine kind of, like paranormal investigation yeah or i'll just go watch angel heart again <laughs> right because it, it does the exactly. same same hits the same beats uh yeah. we have we have the cameron yes the uh, cameron input here so he says lord of illusions really failed to grab me i'm sure there's something to love there but watching this right after mouth of madness made it feel woefully low quality in comparison in the end, the film was defeated by my internet connection, which refused to let me see the final 20 minutes. If that section redeems it, let me know, and I'll give it another go. Uh, yo, if you're going to watch anything, watch the final 20 minutes. Like, that's yeah. the that's the cream that, of this movie's crop. Yeah. 
they, they they threw all their all their chickens into that basket. There, uh, you know, I'd actually really like to read to the original story because there is also uh, like aspects of this that that feels like studio interference based on like lack of faith in the project. Yeah, I would re- I would read the novelization of this. Um, I think that there would just be a lot more insight into like the magic and what the mm-hmm. characters are thinking. There's just a lot. Yeah, there's more room for story um, in there than there is in the in the the film filmic adaptation, particularly when it's limited by by budgets. You can tell where their money kind of went. Um, yeah, some of that's the actors, and some of that is like specific staging stuff, and then it was let down by like some of the effects instead. The the yeah. practical ones all looked really good. Yeah, um, um, there's yeah, some I, nods that's... to like Beyond. Um, mm-hmm. the, the, uh, again, like all the stuff at the very end was very good. Even even the the prologue, like the the bits in the cult house was like excellent. Yeah. Oh yeah, uh, we forgot to mention. Uh, yeah, Butterfield gets a, a really great prosthetic death. Um, he's he's trying to stab people in the cult house, and he's 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 stabbing with so much force that he's stabbing through the walls and stabs a power line in the wall, and we get a really fantastic like electric discharge, like face bloat into burning effect yeah Um, all the practical effects were just really really well done yeah it yeah yeah it's all the cg that is kind of like what you would think of if you think of 1995 yeah uh sorry non-jurassic park 1995 Mm -hmm. cg but so I think that's but, that will I think wrap us up also with Lord of Illusions. Yes, the, the, thematically it's very good. The same, the, um, the same with um, in Mouth of Madness. Like these, these hit that Legati feeling like really yeah. well. They transmit it in a in a, a way that's like there. It's both villain centric, and you're not um, you're not sympathizing with them at all. No. Like there's no sympathy for it, but you get what they're doing, right? You don't have to like it, but you can at least understand that. Well, in in Nick's case, it's just, um, it's a sense of uh, loneliness paired with um, it's, it's not really self righteousness. Uh, he's so far above everything that nothing can equal him, and that's just boring. Right. There's no pleasure to be gained because he is so uh, all powerful. There is. Yeah. There is. It's there like, is no gain. There's no it, chase. It, it, there's he no... has ultimate power, but it hasn't brought him happiness. Exactly. That old chestnut, yeah. which is just magnified by, oh, yeah. And also, I was like, when I was like not dead, but dead, um, that was awful. Like 15 years in that state is real bad. So, yeah, just screw it. I'm just done with everything. And that's a vaguely understandable <laughs> position as well. Um, yeah, it's, it's a good villain. Yes. 
And then we've got Kane, who who once again, Kane just actually summarizes his his entire thing with the statement, I used to think I was making it all up, but no, it was just what they were telling me to write, because uh, perception is reality, and if I can get enough people to believe that the things, the horrible things in my book are real, then they become real. Yeah. Which is which is peak <laughs> Thomas Ligotti as well. Belief as power is 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 uh, peak Ligotti also coupled with um, agency is an illusion. Yes. A false hope. Or a curse. Yes. It's a it's the burden. Yeah. yeah. Oh well the burden of sapience is is also very Ligotti. Mm-hmm. Ah, uh, well, that's done it for today's episode. I hope everyone's feeling real good about themselves. We're here to bring the smiles. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm grinning ear to ear right now. Actually, <laughs> um, all right, let's do some admin. Dave, where can people find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at sentinut underscore plus. I will speak for Cameron since he's not here. You can also find him on Twitter at night underscore twitten, and that's night without a K. And you can also find me online on Twitter, uh, although I uh, haven't been posting a lot recently. Uh, you can also find me on uh, YouTube where I have a couple of video essays. Um, oh, you know what? I should also really give my Twitter handle and my YouTube channel, too. That'd be really effective. You can find me on Twitter at Dr. Faust is Dead, and you can find me on YouTube by also searching for Dr. Faust is Dead. Uh, uh, my YouTube channel has a couple of video essays that you might find interesting if you are have not already seen them. And I think that's going to do it for today. Thank you all for joining us once again for another episode of Monster, Dear Monster. We will be returning next week. Right, Dave? That's the plan. With more tales from the Legativerse. Until then, be, uh, be safe out there. Bye. Bye-bye, y'all.